Well, good morning to you all, and um, I'm glad you've been able to meet. Sorry that I can't be there and you have to be, uh, have my virtual presence, but I trust it's no less real for all of that. We read a reading this morning uh, from Ephesians 1, uh, 15 to 23. And in that reading, uh, Paul talks about having the eyes of our understanding, or actually the eyes of our hearts, which is interesting, uh, that uh, there's something very deep within us that's got eyes that sees, and um, uh, or it needs to be opened so that it can see. And uh, Paul's praying that it's not something that's natural, it's something that God gives. So we pray for it and ask that God would open one another's eyes and uh, me to pray that my eyes would be opened. So the question is, what is it open to? Now, the world is obviously very, very real around us. We're very aware of many things that we have to do, things we're responsible for, things we want to happen, people we love and so forth. Uh, but God has opened up to us a new horizon. Uh, and in this uh, book of Ephesians that we read from, uh, Paul calls it the heavenlies, which is a very interesting word. And I hope that as we just work that through this morning, we'll actually see uh, what a vibrant and what a practical and necessary place it is to know that we belong in the heavenlies. Uh, by nature of the case, we're concerned about where we belong in all kinds of ways. For example, uh, we belong in our family, we belong in our country, we belong to certain friends and we belong to a certain workplace. And so we're very aware of those horizons around us and, and it's important to know where we belong. But in the midst of all that, God's saying, you belong to me. And uh, this is the heavenlies. That is where we actually know and relate to him. Very easy for that to become sidelined. Very easy for that to be dulled when things are pleasant in this present life. I guess that's one reason why when things are not pleasant, uh, these things open up to us. And people even talk about being glad that something went wrong so that they awaken to the, what is real. But whatever, we're praying for one another this morning that God would open our eyes and that we would see the things that God wants us to see, particularly the things about relating to him. Um, so Paul talks about this um, being in the heavenlies. Chapter 1, he says we're blessed in the heavenlies. And chapter 1, later on, he says uh, being uh, that we may, that Christ is at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Then surprisingly, it tells us we're in the same place with Christ, seated in the heavenlies. Then it tells us it's the place in chapter 3 where uh, God is displaying his greatness to the powers that rule this world. And then surprisingly, in chapter 6, he says Satan's in the same space. So heavenlies is an interesting spot. It's full of activity, that's for sure. Uh, let's see if we can find out what it actually means. But for a start, it's tempting <clears throat> for us to think that the heavenlies must be <clears throat> ethereal, unreal. I just kind of like a vapour, ghosts, nothing that you can get your hands on. In fact, the world has, um, the world God has put us on, the world God has put us in, in he's never played hard to get. We talk about a, a fellow or a girl playing hard to get in terms of their relationship. Uh, but God's never played hard to get. 
he's always been available he's always near and uh, that was true right from the beginning remember Adam and Eve and after that sin do you remember the story God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and saying Adam where are you it's a very beautiful picture of God desiring to have fellowship with his creatures, the creatures that he's made. Now, of course, we know that we blew that. We're excluded from Eden. But interestingly, God hasn't shut down this space in which we can relate to him. Uh, there's lots of ways in which that happens. People put up altars and so forth. They're still related to God. But think about the temple. What was that? Well, it was the dwelling place of God. God said, I want a tent in the midst of your tents. That's what tabernacle means. It's simply the word for tent. And he had his tent in the middle of theirs. He wanted to live amongst them. And then later when they were settled, they built a temple. Now, God was not limited to that. Solomon, who erected it, said, God doesn't dwell in a place made with hands. On the other hand, he was located there. You always knew where to go. And sometimes the psalmist would say, oh, that I could go to Jerusalem. I just want to meet God. So God was locatable. There was a kind of a heavenlies there. And that's interesting. Some of the imagery about the temple uh, copies the Garden of Eden. It's a following. And then Jesus came and he said, I'm the temple. My body's the temple. We've got God amongst us. Uh, so God is not playing hard to get. He's, he's close. He wants to be available. And now Paul is talking, at least in this letter, about the heavenlies. I mean, in every one of his letters, he's talking about God being near and about us having access to, to him. But here he talks about it being the heavenlies. Now, let's just think about the world we're living in. It's, um, it thinks God is unreal. Um, simply because it can't see it, him, can't investigate him. I think, in particular, can't control him and especially won't be investigated by him. I think it's very important. And so the world limits itself to what I might call the earthies. It's a very limited horizon when you think about it. Uh, it's very interesting that science, uh, there was a, a person called Philip Yancey, some of you will know, he's written some very interesting books. And um, he had to talk with a couple of scientists and he was when he realised how eminent these scientists were, he was sweating and felt tight around the neck. <laughs> wasn't sure what he was going to say. But when he did turn came to speak in that environment, he asked them three questions. Uh, why is there something and not nothing? Why is that something so beautiful and orderly? And how ought we to conduct ourselves in such a world? And these eminent scientists and Philip Yancey and another theologian talked together and the scientists agreed that they that it was not the business of science to investigate those three questions. And yet they are questions that are very important. In other words, if we are limited, can you see what I mean? If you're stuck with the earthies, you've got a limited parameters. You just haven't got answers to the big questions. And God very graciously has opened up what we're calling the heavenlies, or what Paul calls the heavenlies, in which we can actually know the things that are really important to know. In fact, the world that uh, the world imagines is not the real world. 
because from God's point of view, the real world, that is the world he's made with all of its smallness and all of its immensity, right from the most, um, new, most recently discovered small thing and the most recently discovered immensity out in space, uh, all of this, uh, God has made that it may declare his glory and so that we may know him. And he spells that out in Romans 1. He spells that out again in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the earth shows, it demonstrates God's workmanship. Uh, in other words, when people say, show me the evidence for God, I, I can perhaps imagine God saying, how much do they want? <laughs> Just a whole universe? Every bit of the world that, that uh, moves and is and exists is evidence that God is putting there and it's not just there to be examined, it's speaking. The heavens declare that's, that's words, that's something you hear. And so you don't truly see the world unless you're hearing. I think that's true about a lot of things actually. Just ask your wife if you're a husband. And if all that you do is see her, and not in when you see her to also hear her. Do you see what I mean? It's, there's another dimension that we ignore if we just limit ourselves to science, what can be investigated and looked at and seen and controlled. There's something to listen to. And so the heavenlies is opening up for, up for us. If you like, uh, God is still coming into the garden in the cool of the day. And he's saying, where are you, Grant? It's the heavenlies, and the whole world is like that, really. But we're talking about the heavenlies in particular, which is the arena God has opened up uh, by not just the creation, but by revelation. In other words, we wouldn't listen to the creation. And so God took special steps by the prophets in the Old Testament and by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament to speak to us, to open up what these heavenlies are, where we can relate and know God. Uh, you think of Paul when he went to the Athenians, and um, I'm just going back a step actually, but to the creation. Paul said to the Athenians, you shouldn't think God is a long way away. He's very near to us, like one of your own poets has said. Where is his offspring? So there we are. God has made this world so we could relate to him, and that's what I'm calling the real world. But now the real world for us is opened up because of Revelation. And we can come into the heavenlies and I'm hoping you'll come with me into this investigation or just a little brief look really through these uses of heavenlies in Ephesians to see what wonderful things God's opened up, a place where we can belong, not just to our family, not just to our job, not just to a career, not just to whatever we can see, but open up to everything that actually is and open up to everything that's eternal in particular. So, first of all, Paul says, God has blessed us in the heavenlies. That's the first use, chapter 1, verse 3. With every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. God has known us and revealed himself to us. And uh, it starts off with, um, uh, I'll have to look at it again. He says he uh, chose us 
in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, this blessing starts with being known. It's an interesting place to start, isn't it? Not what you know, but who knows you. Uh, fancy discovering that you're known by God. Uh, moreover, fancy discovering that God's got a plan for you. And that this plan then becomes revealed in Jesus Christ and he makes it known to us, which is what the Holy Spirit does. But right in the centre of this reading about the spiritual blessings in chapter 1, verses 3 to 12 or thereabouts, if you look at it, it's kind of got a centre. And the centre is in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus' blood. Now, central to what God wants to say to us is that he loves us, that he understands that we're a long way off and that something needs to happen and that he's done it. Now, that was, that's beginning to see what it means that we have been blessed. You see, in Eden, life just wasn't meant to happen. God blessed them and said, have children. He didn't say just have children. He blessed them. And said, have children. And he blessed them and said, go and, go and, 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 and uh, subdue the earth. He didn't just say, look after the place. He, he blessed them. You need God's closeness and enablement. Can you see why the world is having so much struggle running its own world? Because it's running without its maker. And it's running without his blessing. What an incredible thing to think that these heavenly places opens up by God showing to us that we are blessed in Christ. And then secondly, um, it tells us about chapter 1 verse 20, it says in the reading we had, God worked this in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the place where we're blessed is not the place where we're in charge. It's the place where Christ is in charge. I like that. I've tried and tried a thousand ways to have a spiritual life and you know, be a good Christian and all the rest of it, um, and it doesn't work. The only place that God gives us to live is the place where Jesus is in charge. He's dealt with our sins. He's been raised from the dead. He's come alive to God as the new person, new, new creation of, of humanity. And in him... Uh, we're alive to God as well. So Christ is in charge. He has all authority. That was exactly what Jesus said before he died. That's our big fun. Before he left this world, after his resurrection, he said, all authority is given to me. Oh, we need to know that, don't we? The world's not a safe place. <laughs> Governments are trying to make it safe, but they're not going to happen. We need Jesus Christ who's got all authority in heaven and in earth. And here we're in a territory where we know Jesus Christ is totally in charge of every aspect. Great place to be, the heavenlies. Third place, amazing. Chapter 2, verse 6, he raised us up with Jesus, not just Jesus raised up, we're raised up and seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. So heavenly places, from one point of view, is up there because Christ is seated there. But it's also the place where we're seated next to him. So it's not kind of something you can work out spatially, is it? It's a relationship, really. 
it's a way of being. And um, so here is Christ and he's been given all authority and we've been raised up to sit with him, to be with him in those heavenly places. Uh, so our life is not our spirituality because if you read that whole section, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 again, um, in the next chapter, uh, chapter 2, again central to the fact, he says, this is not our doing. It's of grace, not of works, lest any man should base. But should any should boast? You think of the West world and how much of this world uh, runs by boasting. On about it all the time. Television is chocker, full of it, isn't it? This one and that one saying, we're making history. We put this in place. You can hear the phrases, can't you? Uh, no, that's not the that's not the heavenlies. That's the earthies. And they get so drab and so tiring and so unreal. But what about the heavenlies where Christ is in charge and where God has done something so radical in us that we know it's eternal, it's real, uh, because it's his workmanship in particular. So um, the heavenlies are a great place to be. All the hard work of reaching to God's been done. It doesn't happen by us being spiritual if we said we hear and we believe and so we're blessed. And then the, 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 there's another one in chapter th uh, three, which I'll leave out for the moment. But the last one, the fifth one is uh, sorry, the fourth one. But the fifth one is uh, in chapter six. <laughs> Very interesting. It says, uh, I'll, and I'll read it rather than guess at it again. Chapter six. And it says, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Remember, Eden was the place God made for Adam and Eve to relate to God. Who came? Who should have been thrown out but wasn't? Ever since Eden, Satan has been messing with the space created for us to relate to God. All through history, from the beginning right through to the end. So this heavenly places is not heaven. It's not the world you can see either. But it is the space where you and I live. It's the place where you're being blessed. It's the place where Christ rules. It's the place where you're sitting with Christ. It's the place where what Christ is doing in the church is being displayed. That's the chapter three reference. And in chapter six, he says, Satan's messing with our relationship. And you can overcome him, he says, by the shield of faith. You can destroy all the wicked, all the shards of the evil one. So Satan messes with his place as he has always done. It's interesting that um, we overcome him by faith uh, in because we are standing with Christ in the heavenly places. I love it when it says that Christ is in the heavenly places. We've said that. Uh, from chapter 1 verse 30 uh, and then it says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places well that's interesting isn't it and that's not just so we can enjoy the scenery if what is Christ at the right hand of the God of, of, of the Father for so that he can administer the works of the kingdom what are we at the right hand of the king of the of the king for, uh, 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 for? we're there for the kingdom uh, we've been given this elevated position sitting with Christ, with God. That's why prayer makes sense. Because we're sitting there with Christ. We don't have to yell. Uh, nor do we have to do extraordinary things to be noticed. Christ says, 
He wants us to listen to his to his son. And so um, here we have it, um, that uh, we have, are living in the heavenly places uh, with Christ. So now that just finally, where does this all leave us? Well, just simply to summarize a few of the things we've said, we're no longer limited to the earthies. And I think that should be a great delight to us. It does mean that our job, our work with other people, our relationships uh, are very important and they matter very, but they're not our home. They're not where we're coming from. You know, people ask, where are you coming from? Well, we're coming from the heavenlies. Um, I think it was Forsyth who said that we should not strain up to our duties as though they were above us. We should descend upon our duties from above. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Going to work. And you think you've prayed that morning and you've committed the day to God. And therefore, you don't have to be worried about what the boss might be saying, going to say to you. You don't worry about whether you're going to be sufficient for the job. You've entrusted the day to God. So you can descend upon your labours as somebody that's important and somebody who's got something significant to do. It changes everything. Uh, so, but our job's still important, but it's, we come at it differently. Uh, the world is not our home. It's our place where we live. But we're actually in the heavenlies. So what should we do? Well, first of all, we should ask God to open our eyes. If you just feel sufficient, well, everything I'm saying this morning would be quite irrelevant to you. And uh, that's sad uh, because it could mean so much to have your eyes open. But I hope you sense the tremendous inadequacy that we actually have as human beings and the tremendous difficulties we actually need to face in this world and that you'd expect to live somewhere better than what you can just see. And if you're going to do that, you'd ask God to open your eyes that you might see. Remember Elisha uh, and his servant, and they were on a very difficult task with some enemies of Israel. And um, the servant of Elisha was concerned about all the enemies, uh, armies that were around them. And Elisha simply prayed, oh God, open this man's eyes. And the servant's eyes were opened and he saw all the heavenly hosts around. Now, that was a specific occasion where God was pleased to do a, a visible thing, if you like, for this servant. But I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know what it means to live in the heavenlies, where the resources of heaven are constantly available to us. So open our eyes. And then secondly, keep in touch with God's word. Remember that seeing is not believing, hearing is believing. And hearing really is seeing properly. We need to be hearing that God's gone to an enormous amount of trouble to speak to us and to see to us that what he said is retained for us in Scripture. It's a marvellous thing to actually have a Bible in your hands and to read it and to encourage others with it. Our Bible is always presenting to us a very different picture of reality to what's presented in their, for our eyes uh, and a very different picture to what is presented by the world about itself. But it's the picture we need. Third thing, just three simple things to ask God in prayer to open your eyes, to keep your Bible open and expect God to show you wonderful things out of his scriptures. And thirdly, not to be afraid to talk about God in your homes and with friends about what God has done and promised. 
I used to think that I hadn't really done a tremendous job and I still think that really in bringing up our children along with Chris. But it was very interesting as the children grew up, one of them said to me in particular that he knew, felt he knew his Bible very well. All we did really was around the breakfast table, read the Bible every day. Just a short section, no big trouble, no big deal, just read some Bible. And over years, they felt that they knew a lot of the Bible and it's made a difference, I'm sure, in their lives. Don't be afraid uh, to use the Bible in your homes or to speak to your friends about Christian things uh, because these these heavenlies need to be, uh, as it were, um, opened and not just shut away for some spooky moment in church, but to actually become the arena in which we habitually leave, live, I mean. Now, this morning I, I thought, um, I think you're going to sing the song that was written by Christine Dietman some years ago. You made us to reflect your glory, to be like you in all our ways. It's a song that Chris and I love very, very much. And um, I had a copies of it printed off and put it at the back of church. And you might like to take a copy home. And not just to take it home and put it in your Bible as a bookmark, but to say over breakfast time, uh, tea time, whatever. Why don't we read that poem of Christine's? <laughs> not just sing it in church on Sunday. A lot of these words are so fantastic. You'd miss them if you just sang them. They need to be read, maybe just before your quiet time, when you read your Bible or pray, or maybe when you're sure you say grace. Let's read Christine's song. So that's why I had it printed off, so you could actually use it and do this third thing that I'm saying. To get the Bible out of its cloisters, off its dusty shelf, out of just um, clever people reading books about the Bible so they can talk about it, and just make it part of your everyday life, uh, because we're living not in the earthies, we're living in the heavenlies. And you'll be surprised at how practical God is in bringing about, uh, in dealing with our life in this world. Uh, there's a lovely verse in Psalm 119, where when you first read it, it sounds like the person is being precocious, but he says, I've got more wisdom than my enemies. I've got more wisdom than my elders. Um, and uh, one other as well, which I can't remember. But um, he's not being precocious. He's just saying, because I keep your word. There's something very wonderful about living in the heavenlies. When you know your life is coming down from you, to, down to you as a gift, not as something you have to make out of your own sweat, but something is being given to you as a gift from the heavenlies. Well, you know, Christ is in charge of that and not you, and it's grace and it's not works. Uh, when you make this your habituation and when you realise that's being tackled constantly by Satan, not least by the stories of the world about all this being spooky stuff that's not real. It's a real attack of Satan these days. Uh, Satan's trying to mess with this space that we've got with God. So I hope you can do these three things to, uh, to ask God to open your eyes, to read the scriptures and to make it something of a habituation in your life uh, in your real world life so that there can be a, a bridging of the gap uh, between what seems to be unseen and what is seen. Well, may God bless us all as we consider these things. Let's just, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious Father, you are so kind to us as Christian people um, and we thank you for 
opening up a world that would have been shut to us if we were just left to ourselves because we'd ignored you, the God that made this world. But now you've opened it up to us. You've made it so attractive. You've made it so realistic. You've made it so near. Uh, we ask our Father that you'll enable us to walk in the heavenlies as your true people through Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>